Welcome to your Tuesday edition of Transformation Radio. Jake Fink, 31 years old, from Junction City. I was a struggling pill addict from the time I was 15. Lost church, lost out of church, in and out of drugs from 15 to 31. Just always felt empty, felt lost. Nothing was ever good enough. Could never fill the void. Uh, started out at 15 on alcohol and uh, um, weed. Got to about 20, 20, 21 years old. Had my first DUI. Started in two prescription pills with friends and it just seemed to progress from there uh 23 years old i had my first kid and it didn't stop there i was still into pills even more and more 
continued from 23 to about 24, and then I had my son. Still nothing changed from 24 to 27. It just progressively got worse. Um, on and off jobs, in and out of the house, on and off relationships. Until it came to the point in my life where uh, it just, it was at the bottom. And I realized that I just needed something else. So uh, I heard about the refuge through my mom's church, Living Word. Saw the DVD, came up there on a Monday, decided to go, give it a try, give my life a change. Went to the farm on February 2nd. The refuge really changed my life. It was a place where I got to know God, and that was what I was missing. The four weeks that I spent on the farm was just absolutely amazing. I got God in my life. I'm on the right track now. I, I feel better about myself. I feel better where I'm going. It's just amazing what God can do for you. It's He just every day, it's, it just gets better and better. I'm in the second phase now, still working in progress to God in my life and uh, where I want to be. I'm a great father and uh, have a career and live for God. So. Now it's time for our reading in the New Testament. And our narrative today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Let's take a look at what's going on here just before we begin the narrative. This trial that we'll be reading about by the High Council had two phases. A small group met at night, and then the full High Council met at daybreak. They tried Jesus for religious offenses, such as calling himself the Son of God, which, according to law, was blasphemy. Well, the trial, of course, was rigged. It was fixed. These religious leaders had already decided to kill Jesus. The Romans controlled Israel, but the Jews were given some authority over religious and minor civil disputes. The Jewish ruling body, the High Council, was made up of 71 of Israel's religious leaders. It was assumed that these men would be just. Instead, they showed great injustice in the trial of Jesus, even to the point of making up lies to use against him. The statement that the false witnesses finally agreed to use as an accusation twisted Jesus' actual words. Jesus did not say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus was not talking about Herod's temple, but about his own body. Now to the first question, Jesus made no reply because it was based on confusing and erroneous evidence. Not answering was wiser than trying to clarify the fabricated accusations. But if Jesus had refused to answer the second question, it could have been taken as a denial of his mission. Instead, his answer predicted a powerful role reversal. Sitting at God's right hand in the place of power, he would come to judge his accusers, and they would have to answer his questions. Well, Caiaphas' home where Jesus was tried, was part of a huge palace with several courtyards. John was apparently acquainted with the high priest and was led into the courtyard along with Peter. Now, it's easy to get angry at the high council and the Roman governor for their injustice in condemning Jesus. But Peter and the rest of the disciples also contributed to Jesus' pain by deserting him. Now, while most of us may not be like the Jewish and Roman leaders, we are like the disciples because all of us have been guilty of denying Christ as Lord in vital areas of our lives. We may pride ourselves that we have not committed certain sins, but let's face it and be honest here, we're all guilty of sin. 
So don't try to excuse yourself by pointing at others whose sins seem worse than yours. God does not grade on the curve. All right, enough of uh, the commentary. Let's read today now here in the New Testament. March 10th, the New Testament. Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus, so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them, because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. Echoing the message of Psalm 14, this psalm proclaims the foolishness of atheism. People may say there is no God in order to cover up their sin, to have an excuse to continue in sin, and or to ignore the judge in order to avoid the judgment. Fools, as the Bible refers to them, do not necessarily lack intelligence. No, many atheists and unbelievers are in fact highly educated, sophisticated people. Fools are people who reject God, the only one who can save them. That's pretty foolish, <laughs> Well, God is not affected by what we think of Him. We are definitely and eternally affected by what God thinks of us. 
Now this psalm begins with the bold claim that there is no God. But by this verse, the true reason for rejecting God has become clear. The reason people reject God has nothing at all to do with God's existence and everything to do with people's sinfulness. In our desire to do wrong, we often treat God as if He doesn't exist. When God passes judgment, it will be too late to apologize and admit we were wrong. Rejection of God will turn into terror of God. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 6. For the choir director, a meditation, a psalm of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread, and wouldn't think of praying to God. Terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4 Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death.
in into the arms of Jesus. Here's today's in touch devotion. Today's scripture reading is verses 30 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. At some point, no doubt, you've been hurt. Probably a person you loved and trusted did something unthinkable, something so devastating it changed your whole perspective on that individual. When this happens, we have a choice either to wallow in self-pity or to forgive. Forgiveness is the act of giving up both the resentment we have towards someone and the desire to retaliate. It involves three important steps. First, we must release the general feeling of resentment. That is, we must decide not to languish in our pain. This can be hard. Many people seem to enjoy harboring self-pity or an overarching sense of martyrdom. And some, unfortunately, suffer tremendous injustice. But with the Holy Spirit, you can move past the hurt. Second, we must surrender specific feelings of resentment toward the individual. That means we're to give up our anger at being hurt and also seek to be in right relationship. Third, we lay down all claims to retribution. You cannot forgive someone with your words while secretly wishing him or her harm. True forgiveness seeks the other person's good, not punishment. Forgiveness says, Though you hurt me, I choose to pardon you. I won't dwell on this, nor will I allow it to destroy my life or attitude. I won't spend one minute plotting revenge. You are God's precious child, and I love you. Truly, forgiveness is possible only through faith in Christ. Forgiving another person carries a price, but the rewards are worth it. Unleash the power of forgiveness in your life today.
Today's word on Minute with Maxwell is care. And Donna Huffman, who's an owner and has a sales company from Hickory, North Carolina, submitted that word. The first question a follower asks of a leader is not, are you competent? Or um, are you going to just even help me? The first word they ask when they look at a leader and decide to follow him or her is, do you care for me? And the reason for that is we don't want to submit our life to somebody that we feel would manipulate us or in some way intentionally hurt us. And so the question, care, do you care for me, is one that is very significant to all of our lives because that's the first step to trust, which is the first step to relationships. So today, go out and care for somebody. It is the first step of a wonderful journey together.
empty thoughts Sing the core from my heart I've never felt so torn before Seems I don't know where to start But it's now that I feel Your grace fall like rain From every fingertip Washing away my
still believe Cause I still believe Cause I still believe Cause I still believe And that does it for today's podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another edition of Transformation Radio.